Welcome to On The Fly, the fly fishing podcast for people on the fly, with Ben and Steve from Meander Flyco. We're going to share some anecdotes, chat to other passionate fishers, and share some tips and techniques, because there's always something to learn in this game. Basically, we want to keep you connected to your passion when you can't be out on the water. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or check out our store or our socials at Meander Flyco, where we're passionate about equipping you for adventure. Well, welcome to On The Fly, um, and and just like it says in the name, On The Fly is a podcast that, that are for people on the fly, whether you've got time to, uh, you know, you've got a short amount of time to listen to it, but also for us, we record it on the fly half the time. Uh, it's true. I'm sitting up in a uh, in a hotel room in Sydney. I'm at a conference this week. Where are you, Ben? Well, that's luxury where you are, Steve. I'm actually sitting in my car. It's <laughs> 7.30pm, and that's usually the witching hour in my house with three kids running around, so I've ducked it out. And uh, and found a quiet space, but um, mate, you don't do that. You don't do that um every night, though. This is special. No, no, this you're is not special. hiding is from special your, occasion. You're not hiding from your fatherly duties at seven thirty every night. I'm sure. Oh no, no, I've I've already made lunch for tomorrow, and I've I've sorted that out. So that's all good, good. man. But, uh, you, you'll actually hear. I've I've driven the car out, and uh, we're actually post recording this intro, and you'll hear during the podcast. I thought I found a quiet place, but there's actually a motorbike that's been hooning around here. So you might hear a few revs of the motorbike <laughs> in the background. So that's just a bit of a warning there, <laughs> mate. We, we've got we've got a um, we've got a great podcast coming up. Uh, yeah, really looking forward episode. to this one, Steve. I think we've been building and we've had some great guests on, but I'm really excited to share this one today. Um, this this guy's got a really long resume in fly fishing. He's one of Australia's top anglers. Uh, mate, hey, we should do this like a little bit of a, a guess who. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Fire away. All right. So, um, all right, Steve. <laughs> guess who? He's been uh, top twenty-five in four of the last world championships representing Australia. Yep. All right, Australian. Yep. Yep. He's a current board member of Fly Fishing Australia. Okay. Yep. He regularly contributes to Fly Life magazine, which is uh, for those listening around the world. I think it's one of the best magazines that's out there for fly fishing, Australia, New Zealand. Um. Are you, are you getting any clues as to who this could be yet, Steve? I think I've got. I think I've got it. Are they do they also? Um, they also guide a little bit in in they, Victoria and Tassie. They do. They do. They guide in the Victorian High Country. Yeah. They guide with drift water out of Tasmania there, Mate, in, uh, in the beautiful Deloraine on the Meander River. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he runs fly fishing clinics right around Australia. Yeah. Uh, what more can we say? He's got a YouTube channel. He's got an Instagram handle. He's a brand ambassador for Cortland Line and Nervous Water Australia New Zealand. So. Like right. I say, he's a busy man, long credentials. Yep. Who are we talking about, Steve? Tom Jarman. It is Tom Jarman. We're really happy to have him on the show today. Tom, we just want to say welcome to On The Fly. Thanks, guys. My, my pleasure to be here. Now, you, you just finished the comp on the weekend. Is that right, Tom? Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely can. So we uh, just had the, I think it was the second or the third round of the Victorian State Fly Fishing Championships on Rocky Valley Reservoir. Um, so it's up at Falls Creek there. Um, I think we had 34 contestants, which is a big turnout for a state round. Um, and I was, I think you asked it because I was fortunate enough to uh, win this one. So, yeah. which was nice. <laughs> second year in a row, actually. I won it last year as well. So, so that was obviously a lock style comp then? 
Yeah, so that's a lock style comp um, allowed three flies. You're fishing from a drifting boat, two anglers in the boat. You're allowed to fish the front quarter of the boat each and, yeah, held over four sessions. So four three-hour sessions. And what, what was your fish count, Tom? Uh, so I got 33 for the weekend, which was uh, – so I got 14 in the first three hours. Next session I got eight. Then I got three in the Saturday, Sunday morning, and then I got eight in the final session as well. So um, they were pretty good numbers. That's, I think, the highest number, yeah, I know of at Rocky Valley in recent times. So it was really good. Well, how were the conditions? Well, I mean, that, that, that sounds like great numbers, and obviously you're happy with, with that, and you got the win. Was it? Um, were the conditions trying, or were they uh, ideal? The, condition, the conditions were very good on Saturday. Overcast for wild brown trout on lakes is just fantastic. So mm. um, like a bit of wind, overcast weather just brings them on. So Saturday, the conditions were really, really nice. Um, the numbers dropped off massively on the Sunday. It was bright and windy in the morning and then it calmed off and that makes it really tough. And in addition to that, we had uh, like you've got – 34 anglers fishing on this one lake that's not massive. It's pretty big by Australian mm. standards. Um, you'd liken it to a similar size as like a Woods Lake in Tasmania or something like that. So when you've got 34 anglers fishing that um, for four three-hour sessions, the numbers, because they're wild brown trout, drop off mm. quite a lot. So it got tougher mm. on the on the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. They, they get used to you all being on the water and they keep their heads down. Yeah, and especially when uh, the, it's a fishery that's like they love the edges, they love the rocks and the, the banks. So the banks get peppered and they get really, really gun shy. So you kind of need mm. to, in the latter sessions, you know, do something a little bit different. Get a bit funky. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hey, Tom. Hey, hey, Tom. Um, I know that we've got you and we're going to um, dive into some questions around nymphing in a minute, but... I, we always like to hear from our from our guests. Uh, we always ask them the same kind of question to get started, which is, uh, "What got you into fly fishing?" and and do you remember your first fish on the fly? Oh, good question. So the answer to that would be uh, my dad got me into fly fishing. So yeah. we moved. To, he moved across to the UK with our family uh, for work when I was two years old. Um, so I started school over there actually. So we lived in um, we lived in like inner West London. And dad and I used to go down every weekend or he used to go down every weekend to the local Stillwater Cyan Park down there, which is in Kew for the people who know the area down there. And uh, we, yeah, we would go down on a Saturday. It was a stock fishery with rainbows there and I'd tag along with dad. And I can't remember when exactly it was, but um, I, yeah, got to the stage where I was able to have a flick and a cast and, yeah, really got into it then and it was something that dad and I always did. And then when we came back to Australia, it was just it we just kind of picked it up where we left off. So yeah, that's that's how it all started. Brilliant. I, I follow your dad on Instagram. He's David Jarman, isn't that right? And he, he he's still catching some pretty good fish. Is that thanks <laughs> to you or <laughs> it depends if you ask him or if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well no, we... it's uh obviously something that's runs in the family and something that's definitely got into your blood and um, something that gives you guys a lot of pleasure on the water. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's yeah, it's amazing because my brother does a little bit of fly fishing, but very, very little. So it's always something dad and I have had together, which is great. Brilliant. Mm. Well, like Steve said, Tom, there's a lot of things that we could have spoken about with, with you, um, given your, your uh, 
resume, but one of the things that people have been asking us a lot about recently is, is modern nymphing techniques and, um, and tight line nymphing. So we thought if we could um, sort of have a conversation, a chat about um, your experience with, with nymphing fishing and letting us know what, um, what people can do to improve their nymphing or, um, or just getting a basic understanding of what nymphing is all about. So when we talk about nymph fishing, there's a lot of different names that people call it. What, what do you call it, first of all? And, and um, can you give us a little bit of a, a rundown on the history of, of nymphing as it stands today? Yeah, so that's a yeah, awesome question because that's something we talk. That's literally the the way I start my nymphing clinics is you know what is it, where is it, why does it exist? Um, mm. To go back to the start, so essentially uh, the key with like short line nymphing is that you want to it's it's most applicable in water types where the current on the top is moving so much faster than that on the bottom. So mm. if we were to use an indicator. Um, such as a dry or a yarn indicator, that's going to get caught by the current on the surface, which is moving much faster than that on the bottom. So it's very hard to get your flies down and drifting at a speed that is anything like what it is on the bottom. So uh, essentially there were, some countries may get annoyed at this, there were four main uh, <laughs> countries in the competition scene in probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, Early 2000s is really when it kicked off, uh, like around the World Championships in Slovakia in 2004, where you had the Czech team, the French team, the Spanish team and the Polish team all had their rough styles. Um, and I may have got the timeline a fraction wrong. I know the Czechs were doing their true Czech nymphing back then. Um, and the French had really started to kind of push on with longer leaders. But essentially in a competition, you're allocated a section of water to fish for your session and you don't get to choose it. So anglers kind of thought, well, we've got all this raging fast stuff. We need to work out a way to catch fish in it. So Czech nymphing was a style. Um, they were extremely dominant. The Czechs for a long time, they used uh, the gamma shrimp, which are, you've probably seen the old school Czech nymph patterns and they were used because beads weren't allowed in competitions a long time ago. So they used lead in them. They used two to three flies. Um, they used a nine foot five weight back in the day. So you can see how far modern nymphing has come from then. And essentially mm -hmm. they used about a foot of fly on out the tip of their rod. They used a colored bit of line and then it went straight down to straight leader. And it was often like, you know, fire five X, four X back then it was heavy stuff to their straight flies. And they would roll it over the top, these heavy uh, check nymphs and pretty much lead them down the current straight under the rod tip. So used for very deep, fast, bouldery uh, water. French nymphing, yeah. very similar, but again, different. They brought in, Czechs was very much short line and I lump Polish nymphing in with them as well because Polish, uh, they did it very short as well. It was quite similar. The French had longer rods, longer leaders, and they were all about, you know, casting um, like fine, fine tapered leaders, no fly line long upstream and then leading the flies back towards them. They also used the coiled indicators back in the day. Um, so French nymphing used a lot lighter nymphs back then. Um, and then you had Spanish nymphing, which uh, their leaders are more like what we're using nowadays. And Spanish nymphing used a uh, very thin line all the way through. So like even back in the, uh, around like the late 2000s, 2010, they had like straight 0.18 millimeter in diameter tippet all the way through to an indicator. And then they had two flies. They often used a big bomb on the point 
and a small fly on the top dropper and that would allow them to kind of cast across into across the water into pockets there'd be no sag because their leader was very straight and they would mm. uh, yeah be able to uh get the small fly down with the help of the bigger fly and essentially to skip forward you know, some of those details won't be a hundred percent accurate and there's all different thoughts on all of it um what's happened over the last you know 10 years since my time being involved in the sport uh it's all pretty much come together anglers are very good at sharing and mm. it's all pretty much blended together to the point where you know the checks went oh wow french guys can cast a lot longer than us because of the gear they're using um everyone's going oh the spanish leader that really fine line doesn't have sag that's really good we'll adopt that and essentially what's happened now 2021 back from like 2004 early 2000s late 90s is it's all blended into one so really there is no czech nymphing there is no french nymphing no spanish nymphing or polish nymphing it's just nymphing really because it's mm. so logical and what yeah it's the most practical way to get a fly deep to the fish and get a drift at a speed that is relatively close to the current around it so yeah it's to back, go back to your question what do i call it i pretty much just call it nymphing double nymphing or single <laughs> nymphing um it's not that similar to, you know, the old school nymphing where you just had a fly line, a tapered leader, and you'd cast your nymph straight upstream and watch the end of your fly line for the take. So, yeah, mm. it's essentially, it's becoming so common and mainstream as it should because it's so logical. It's just kind of becoming nymphing, really. Uh, but modern nymphing is probably the term that gets thrown around now or euro nymphing. Um, because it's yeah. obviously come out of that region of the world. Yeah, that's right. I think if you called it, you know, Australian nymphing or, you know, the other countries may not be that impressed or scared oh, no, about it. No, I, I've just heard, I've just heard the first. You've, you've just named it Australian nymphing. Tom Jarman's Australian nymphing is what it's going to be called from now on. And I don't think you'll ruffle any feathers, Tom. I don't think it'll take off as well. <laughs> hey, Tom, you mentioned, um, you mentioned there that you have, you could have double nymph or single nymph yeah. uh, rigs on. What, what situation would you put a double on and what situation would you just run a single? Um, well, it depends. Um, depends on where you are. I mean, in the, some places you're only allowed to fish a single nymph overseas. So that's one factor, but um, typically current determines that. So if you've got two flies, you want them drifting in the same current. So they're not pulling against one another. So if the currents are that complex and short and the pockets you're in potentially are that short, you don't really want two flies because it's very hard to get them in the, you know, the right spot to drift well together. Um, also, like when I teach, I like to teach people with a single nymph because it's far more direct. So you have one fly, you're tight to that single fly. You don't have a hinge there. Whereas if you have two flies, you've got, uh, you very much have a hinge. So the takes dampened um, depending on which uh, nymph the fish eats. So I think a single nymph is a great way to learn and it's great because it's very tangle free. It's very easy to re-rig and change to depth. Um, and it's very easy to select your nymph weight as well. So, but yeah, the the, com the complexity of the currents is pretty much the you know, determining factor whether you use a single or a double nymph. So if we sort of take a step back, so essentially the idea of, of modern nymphing, as you described, is about trying to get as natural a presentation as you can to where the fish are holding in the in the type of water you're fishing. Yep. So what what are the what are the things that about modding nymphing that allow you to do that? You've mentioned a few things there about line sag or, or eliminating line sag, about the speed of drift. What is it about about nymphing and the way it's evolved over the last sort of 15, 20 years that means that 
it's the method that allows us to do all of those things, Tom. So the key, uh, I'm probably going to answer this indirectly. The key thing that defines, you know, modern nymphing is the use of a colored indicator above the water. So a bicolor mm. indicator or just a single, uh, colored piece of nylon, um, yeah, so, and you can buy them everywhere. You can buy them from you guys, the, you know, your bicolor indicators. That is really the key because that is your indicator and your uh, your strike indicator and your indicator of the speed of the drift. And you suddenly have no, you know, other than the fine tivet cutting through the water, you've got nothing that can give you drag. If you have a dry, mm. dry fly, you have an indicator sitting on the surface, that is going to dr uh, drift at the same speed as the current around it. And even if your nymph is down on the bottom, your nymph is actually not drifting anywhere near the speed of what everything else is down there. So that's, I guess that's the key determining factor as to when you would use it, why you would use it. Um, it's yeah, just utilizing a, you know, a colored indicator line above the water. Mm. And so from that, from that indicator line, you can fish very, very thin tippets that, like you say, eliminate the drag from the water surrounding. And it means that, that the fly is drifting pretty much as a natural food item would down that, that current scene. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Uh, the fine tippet, you know, using the fine tippets, the, your six, seven and eight X tippets, um, that's one of, the, one of the reasons we can use that finer tippet is that the rods we have, the technology we have now is that we can have really nice light rods. So the reason we use a three weight rod, a two weight rod, um, a four weight rod maybe, is that they protect the tippet. So the weight mm. of that rod, the tips protect the tippet so you don't break the fish up on the strike. And that enables you to use that lighter tippet, which allows you to get the fly, the nymph cutting through, um, sorry, the, the nymph and your line cutting through the water and getting down to that zone where the fish are and then achieving a drift at a pace that is, you know, pretty similar to the current around it. Mm. Hey, Tom, you, you teach, you teach people how to nymph and, um, you know, it, the average, the average punter on the, on the, on the fly fishing scene might not have, um, you know, seven or eight rods to choose from, um, when they walk down to the river, if someone was to, to go, right, I'm going to head out and, and get myself a nymph, um, set up, what, what would your advice be, um, you know, you just talked about the lightweight rods protecting the tippet and so on. What would be the best setup or the best all-round nymphing um, kit to get started with? Uh, I think, um, well, firstly, I'd say almost you don't even need a nymphing rod to give it a go. That's one thing mm. I often say is I remember doing it uh, when I was about 14, 13, 14, and I didn't have any of the gear. I had like a nine-foot five-weight rod and was like, oh, I'll yeah. give one of these leaders a go. So that is the starting point. You can do it. Um, yeah. Ideally, you'd want to get yourself a three-weight rod is a lovely all-round weight. Uh, that'll cover you for pretty much every Australian context. Um, when I was over at the Commonwealth Championships coaching the Australian women's team in 2020, you know, three-weight rods suited the New Zealand rivers perfectly. They managed the bigger fish. They managed the smaller fish. Um, nymphing rods, uh, you know, any of the nymphing rods out there, you get a, a three-weight 10-foot, 10-foot 6 or 11-foot, anything like that. Uh, nine foot six even you know they have soft tips but they have strong butt sections so mm -hmm. they're, they're designed so they don't break the fish off on the strike because you've got the soft tip and then that butt gives you the strength to manage and fight your fish so you can land some very big fish uh, on three rate rods and I remember the world championships in America I was on the Eagle River and got a 65 centimeter rainbow which would have been you know six or seven pound on a three weight so 
absolutely mm. fine. It's all about, yeah, once you, if you don't break them up on the strike and you manage them well, you're not going to break them off. So, and you can use the strength of that butt section. So, that and, and you that, mentioned I, there, yeah, no, it answers it really well, Tom. And you also mentioned something about sort of length. So, you're saying that standard nymphing rods start at maybe a nine six, but most guys are, are nymphing with 10, 10 foot rods or longer. What's the advantage of a longer rod uh, yeah. when you're nymphing? Yeah. So uh, a longer rod with nymphing, ultimately it gives you reach. Um, mm. It allows you, we're fishing with no line on the water when we're, when we're nymphing, uh, when we're modern nymphing. So uh, that is your advantage. You don't have any line on the water to get dragged. So if you have a longer rod, you can ultimately reach over the current and get that nice drift in areas um, where you couldn't with a shorter rod. And I've always been of the mantra that uh, be it dry fly fishing, uh, and that's the hardest one because that's a little bit different. But, you know, I'll always use the longest rod that is practical in a situation. Mm. If I have the room, um, I'll fish for nymphing in particular. I'll use as long of rod as I can because mm. why wouldn't you? It gives you more reach. You can get a better drift because you get your indicator and your tippet entering the water at a better angle. Um, and it's just it just makes absolute sense. It makes life so, so easy. So... Yeah, I often find myself 10 foot 6 and 11 foot are the rods that I use the most. Um, I use a 10 footer, 10 foot 2 weight if I'm in um, skinny water and I'm not fishing terribly long and the fish are very small. Uh, but yeah, long rods just give you reach. It makes life mm. very, very easy. And particularly if you're, you know, if your weighting's not great, you're not super confident, it can allow you to get that little bit further over the current to get that better drift and, you know, catch an extra fish here and there. And it absolutely does catch you extra fish. Mm. Great. Awesome. Well, I think um, one of the things that, uh, you know, would be of interest to our listeners is let's just assume you've, you know, you've got yourself a nymphing outfit, you've got all the equipment you need and you, you head down to the river and you're pretty keen to get in and get it happening. What What are you looking for when you hit a river in terms of nymphing and, and what would, you know, you, you've made a cast, what What would you be looking at as you're, as you're nymphing? I mean, talk us through the actual process of fishing adrift a with a nymphing outfit. Yeah, so, so you're looking for a bit of current, you're looking for a bit of depth, typically, um, because if you don't have depth and you don't have current, you could be using other techniques that are potentially more practical, like nymph below dry or a single dry. So, uh, But when, you, when you're on the river, you've got your brand new setup, you're ready to make a cast, you're pretty much looking to lob the flies. The difference in the cast, and people go, oh, it's not casting, you're just fishing under your rod tip. It is actually a cast. You can cast these rigs and these setups quite a long way uh, but the main difference between the setups the main difference between the cast i should say with a conventional floating line fly line and a nymphing setup is that you're using the weight of the nymphs to propel the cast when you're nymphing so you want to start with your flies downstream below you um, you want to accelerate to a stop like with a normal fly cast you're effectively lobbing slash casting your nymphs upstream you want to stop that rod nice and early uh, because if you follow through, you're going to end up with all your line landing on the water. So follow through, stop that rod at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, as you probably would with a normal fly cast. And then you're pretty much leading, your flies will hit the water, start sinking. And as they start drifting back towards you, you're leading them down, moving your rod tip to stay ahead of them. And the term mm. leading the flies is used because you always want to stay ahead of the indicator in the flies. That way, if anything touches it, you'll feel it. And mm. we don't want to drag our flies through. That's why the term lead is used. Uh, it's like leading a dog. You're not dragging them through. You're just kind of staying ahead of them, leading them. So mm. um, 
that's yeah it's very very hard to uh to explain <laughs> and and you you've described I think you've described it well. And so, so if, if that's the case, are you feeling most takes? Are you seeing the takes in the indicator? Or is it a combination of both, do you find? It's a combination. Ideally, you want to be feeling them. Um, that's the mm. best way because you can feel them before you see your indicator move. But often, you know, there's, we think that with any form of nymph fishing, there's a straight line between from where our line enters the water or goes from our indicator to our nymph. We think it's tight, but it's realistically not. So there are mm. times when you just don't feel it and the fish picks up slack and that's when sometimes your indicator moves uh, and you need to strike. But if you get into the habit of striking at absolutely anything, you're not going to spook a fish in this fast water if you strike it when there's nothing there because you can just flick it back up and make another drift. So I think mm. if, you, if you feel anything that's weird, um, if you see your indicator bounce, move downstream, move upstream, abnormally strike. Um, I've seen some very, very bizarre takes over the time when I've seen the, the indicator accelerate downstream. So if it does anything, it's strike. Um, mm. Because often your strike just becomes the back cast of your next cast anyway. So, mm. And in terms of like length of drift, I mean, like if you're fishing a traditional dry fly or something, uh, you, you're probably not going to let that dry fly drift too far past where you're standing. When you're nymphing, are you going to let that drift go beyond where you're standing in the water or are you going to sort of um, you, you recast once it gets sort of level to where you're standing? What's, what's the sort of go there? So, yeah, you can do a few things. You can, you can make the drifts upstream and you let it drift back to, you know, nearly in line with you or just upstream from you and recast. But it's always worth, you know, letting the flies swing down beneath you and swing out behind you because there's a lot of fish that we leave behind no matter what form of fishing we do. So giving them a different presentation uh sometimes is the difference so make the cast mm. up let the flies hit depth you can come let them drift down give them a bit of a jig let them swing out behind you uh it's amazing how many fish you catch when your flies are trailing in the water behind you and you're just walking up a river we've probably all done it even if it's with a dry or on an evening mm. rise or something it happens when yeah. you're nymphing as well so you know you let those flies swing out behind you they're gonna um, they're going to be ascending in the water column and sweeping across the current and covering a lot of water and fish eat them. So, uh, yeah, you want to really just mix it up. Mm. So, Todd, um, I, I absolutely know what you're talking about there. I think I catch most of my flies when I'm walking up the river uh, <laughs> and dragging it behind me. Uh, but, um, hey, you know, you mentioned um, all of that with the drift and the, and the weight and the, um, the cast. What about flies themselves or nymphs, nymph flies themselves? Are they, uh, is, do you think the fly selection is as important as um, getting it on the right drift uh, or, or is it, you know, equal weighting or, you know, it doesn't matter so much because you just got to get something in front of their face? I think, um, yeah, you, you pretty much got it spot on. You just got to get it in front of them. Um, fish don't have hands. They, don't, they can't, you know, sample something and have a look at it in their hands. They got to put it in their mouth. By the time they do, they do that, if you've got good connection to it, it's all over. So um, the, weight is, the weight and the drift is, abs is the most important thing. The pattern, is, the pattern of the fly is secondary. So mm. um, I always try to tell people the fish eat the drift. They don't eat the fly. They eat the, beha mm, yeah, the behaviour of the fly. It's the same when you fish a dry. You've, we've all probably seen it when you see a feather or a bit of grass or a bit of fluff drifting downstream. And then you go, my gosh, a fish has just eaten that. They, they eat the drift, not the fly, really. So um, the fly makes a difference, but it doesn't make as much of a difference as getting the drift right um, and getting the depth right. So the fly pattern is only a concern 
once you get those first things, you know, getting to the right depth and getting a good drift, the fly pattern only matters after you've achieved that. Yeah, love love that love that tip, Tom. That's that's a, a great piece of advice for uh, for our listeners. So thanks. That's that's brilliant. Um, have you got any other gems of gold that that would? Uh, I know you've you've covered so much ground when it comes to modern nymphing, and um, I'm, I'm writing down notes as we talk. So <laughs> um, any 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 other sort of key tips that we haven't dragged out of you that you're willing to share? Uh, I don't know. It's you know, it's. I don't think it's funny you said any any other gems. I don't think I have many gems or any, <laughs> but it's just a whole fly fishing is a whole bunch of very small one percenters. Um, mm. And I was I was guiding yesterday, and my client and I were talking about that. It's just a whole bunch of really tiny things that when you add as many of them up as you possibly can, and you get as many of those percentages on your side, you do better and better. And no matter what stage of your fishing you're at, you can always build on it, on your knowledge base. You can always learn from people who are better than you and people who you may think are not as good as you. So um, you see some, yeah, crazy things out there. And I think it's just about having all your pros. I was explaining yesterday, this, this uh, guy hadn't fished all season. And I was saying, look, it's if you don't fish a lot and you want to be successful, the key is getting the simple things right and having some processes in place um, that manage your time and keep you on the water and, and get you fishing as efficiently as possible. So that's as simple as having a system to when you're moving between spots, how you, you know, put your nymphs on your rods so they don't spin around and tangle. Um, mm. So how you hold your flies when you're moving between spots. I was explaining, just pull out a bit of fly line and use the sag of the, the fly or the fly line slash leader. So, you know, that it doesn't spin around your rod and tangle. So next time you, you need to make a cast in 10 metres time, you know, you're, uh, you're not, you're not untangling, you're fishing instead of untangling. So that's, that's really the big thing. I think just having, you know, a bunch of processes in place so that you can be efficient and keep your flies fishing. And secondly, um, fish your way. That's probably the other one. Everyone has a certain style and what works for me doesn't work for some other very good anglers in Australia. A really good friend of mine, Lubin Pfeiffer, most people would know him in some of his fishing videos out there. Uh, he and I fish completely differently and the res end result is pretty much the same. So it's about finding what works for you. Have a look at different anglers, different leaders, different flies and find what you like and you'll fish those better if you like them than trying to, you know, imitate what someone else is doing because their style and, you know, their uh, persona and their, you know, how they like to present the fly may not work for you. Just how they approach water may be different. So yeah, that's fish your way is the second big one, I reckon. I, I often hear when people are talking about nymphing, they talk about confidence flies or confidence drifts and things. That sounds like what you're talking about there is just developing your confidence and your style, your technique, and just going going with it, backing yourself on the water. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, the best thing about river fishing compared to, to lake fishing is the fish aren't going anywhere. He's sitting behind mm. that rock or he's sitting in that depression. He'll be there for hours. So... You know, if you make a few casts with that fly and he doesn't eat it, you can change it. So don't mm. stress because they're not going anywhere. They're in the same spots. So, um, yeah, just do what do what you like and, and try something. And if that doesn't work, try something else and you can just keep going. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Well, hey, you go, Steve. Hey, Tom, I, I just um, 
Yeah, just really want to thank you for your time today, mate. You're, you're a gentleman of the sport and um, it's pretty easy to see when you check out your YouTube videos and, and all of the things you do, how willing you are to share um, your passion of fly fishing with others and how, how keen you are to teach people this, this fantastic sport. And, um, yeah, how, how can people get in touch with you, with your guiding, or, or how, do they, how do they find you on YouTube or Instagram? Let us know um, how people can can access more of Tom Jarman. Yeah, so uh, best thing to do, jump on our website, tomjarmanfishing.com. Um, you've got, there's a link there to um, email me to get in touch, to book a session on the water, book a guiding day. Uh, my YouTube channel is just Tom Jarman Fishing, so very easy to find. I think you just Google Tom Jarman Fishing and the videos all pop up. So, um, yeah, any, <laughs> any, any way, pretty much. Um, and and you, yeah, you tie I, a bunch of flies in those videos too, is that right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, I did some, I did a, during COVID lockdown, uh, this winter <laughs> gone, when I came back from New Zealand and I had to quarantine, I made it my mission to tie one fly every day for my quarantine. So I think there's like 14 fly tying videos up there. Um, yeah, I've on tried most that I use. <laughs> yeah, so good. Uh, yeah, there's heaps, heaps of stuff out there, not just mine. Um, you know, Lubin Pfeiffer, the full scale fishing adventures had some great yeah. stuff. Devin Olsen, yeah, yeah. Tac tactical fly fisher. Um, Devin is a good friend in America. He has some amazing fly tying videos as well. So, yeah, just get out there and look. There's so many resources at your fingertips. It's just about finding them. And it's brilliant because we, we say that knowledge is only knowledge when it's shared. So we really appreciate that you're willing to do that and that there's so many guys at the top of the sport that are. So we just want to say thanks for coming on, Tom. I'm sure this will be a, a hotly listened to podcast. And for anyone getting out there on the water, you can flick us a line at info at meander.com. Uh, flyco.com.au and if you catch a, a fish on some of the techniques that Tom's been using maybe drop us a line and we'll be able to share that with every other listener out there but thanks so much Tom for taking the time to chat today my pleasure guys it was great we should do it again sometime oh we'd love thanks to so much. there's so much you can talk about <laughs> <laughs> absolutely thanks for listening in to On The Fly with Meander Flyco don't forget to subscribe or check out our socials or online store at Meander Flyco. Until next time, tight lines.